Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Jay. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Today's topic, The Phantom, The Ghost Who Walks. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. Yeah. Or Slam Evil, as the tagline for this film was. I had that noted as being one of the very first things to say. Slam <laughs> Evil. I had this on VHS, X-Rental, so it's like the big box case, yeah. and then in bold text, bigger than the title of the movie, Slam Evil. Yeah. As shit as it sounds, always liked it. Yeah. It, it, it's a yeah. really bad tagline. I mean, I mentioned there, The Ghost Who Walks. Yeah. I guess it's more of a mouthful. But yeah. it's you know it's more effective than Slam Evil. That's the thing. Slam Evil's punchy. It it stands out. Years later, I still remember it. I like it. I really, really do. You know, before doing the rewatch for this podcast, I went and sourced a copy. I bought it on DVD from JB Hi-Fi. I paid over ten dollars for a DVD because I could not find it on Blu-ray. Yeah. And then I did the rewatch, and I thought, but did I really need it on DVD? Could I not have just rented it on iTunes? Yeah. This is a character that I think I was first exposed to through the Defenders of the Earth cartoon. Same. And that was a very different version. This was an animated series that came out in 86. It only ran for two seasons, and we followed the 27th Phantom. Yeah. Kit Walker, who Billy Zane plays in the movie, he is the 21st. Okay. In the future, the 27th Phantom, he's got powers. He's um, he's He's got strength. Yeah. And he's got a really cheesy line. He, he says, By jungle law, the ghost who calls forth the power of ten tigers. And then he gets his powers. At one point, we see his daughter... Jeddah Walker become the Phantom, I think, in just one episode. Yeah. I didn't expect us to get stuck into Defenders of the Earth. Yeah. We are here to talk about yeah. Billy Zane. I did like that cartoon. The, uh, I his, did. The rest of them was Lothar, uh, Mandrake, the magician. and Flash Gordon was Flash in Flash Gordon was the leader of the team. That was a good series. Is it a problem? <laughs> We're just jumping straight in and talking yeah. about Defenders. Yeah. It's of the interesting Earth. though because Kit Walker had also had a daughter whose name was Julie Walker. So the fact that for the Defenders of the Earth, he had a, like they kept the kind of rhyme scheme of Jeddah. Jeddah. I'm like, oh, okay. Makes Before sense. Defenders of the Earth, the character was created by Lee Falk for the adventure comic strip The Phantom. The series began with a daily newspaper strip on February 17th, 1936, followed by a Colour Sunday strip on May 28th, 1939. Both are still running as of this year. Yeah, this is uh, the, the big thing living here in Australia is everyone's always like, oh, the Phantom, it's it's the one that people get introduced to. We have a, a, a big fair that goes around the country once a year called the Royal Show where you get... Uh, you know, there's rides, there's uh, sideshow carnivals and all that sort of stuff. And you get show bags. And in, like, every single show bag, there is always a Phantom comic. It is sold at every single newspaper. At our comic book store, Comic Zone, we do not stock it because we didn't get access to it because it was such a tedious process to get signed up 
for the company who uh, ships them. That in the end, we're like, you know what? We'll just send people around the corner to the news agents. It's fine. American companies produce it. It's actually produced in like 20 countries around the world in different styles. In Brazil and South Africa, he's like red because that's the way the print color went when it was printed there. But yeah, he's he's an institution. And he, people always say, he predates Superman. I'm like, he does. His first appearance was definitely before Superman, but he wasn't an actual comic book character until after Superman. He was a comic strip character. Okay, technicality. We've got to credit the Phantom with something here. He was the first fictional hero to wear a skin-tight costume and to have a domino mask with no visible pupils, just white. We later got that in Batman. The Phantom did do that first. So you're right. Technically not a comic book. It was a comic strip. Yeah, because comic strips were big in the 20s and 30s. But in the comic book industry itself, they were comic strips stapled together before they actually had to create their own characters. But yeah, it it, it is a difference. But the look of the Phantom has existed and continues to run a classic design yeah like you know where are we 85 years later and the movie was a fairly faithful adaption they've not given him the stripy trunks no because it didn't work on screen but other than that it looks like it does in the comic honestly when i moved from the uk to australia i started to think because of how popular the phantom is here news agents wherever you go you see phantom comics i started to think is the Phantom Australian? Like, did I just completely miss yeah. that? We get at that a lot at work. They're like, oh, but he's an Australian. We're like, no, he's not. He's American. He was created by an American. But it just happened that here in Australia, the first appearance of the Phantom was in The Woman's Weekly. And that is how people were like, Lee Falk was American and lived in America. He just found publishing here easier, I suppose. They actually did some live-action Phantom TV series after the movie. Have you ever come across any of these? Oh, in fact, no, no, sorry. They did one. They did The Phantom, which was on sci-fi. Before that, they did an animated series, Phantom 2040. The Phantom 2040 rings a bell. That was the 24th Phantom, and he's said to be the only person that can save the planet. But then I did see Sci-Fi were looking to launch a live-action Phantom series, and the costume is horrendous. It, it's got purple on it, but it doesn't closely resemble the one we see Billy Zane wear, which obviously resembles the comics. Yeah. It's strange as well, because I remember, oh, I might be going on 10 years ago, they were talking about doing a Julie Walker Phantom oh, right. TV show, but a lot of these fall apart because... <sighs> The, the, the way the rights work, I don't know how it works in the US, but here in Australia, you got to go through, I believe it's the Fruit Publishing? Yes, they have the Australian license. And they basically choke the life out of fandom here in the country. I, we've had multiple stories of people who've run art expos, written novels, written uh, done resource books, and they've been, they've been um, drained of the money themselves just for the... The, the right to go forward with this where Fru has offered no help at all. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is this is why we don't get anything live action these days. If people have to deal with these guys, nothing is getting done. In the sci-fi series, Ryan K 
Carnes played the Phantom. The series was shot in New York City, Costa Rica, and Montreal. A bit of globe trotting there. The story sees law student Kit learning that he was adopted and that he is actually the son of the 21st Phantom and Diana Palmer Walker. He joins the Phantom team in the jungles of Bengala. In this version, Bengala is a small island in Indonesia and is trained in martial arts and combat, emerging as the next Phantom to battle the Singh Brotherhood and save the only man who could bring peace to the Middle East. The 22nd Phantom wears a modified costume that is highly resistant to bullets, blades and falls, doubles his strength and can make him move faster. The design is horrendous. And this being sci-fi, I'm assuming one season. Yeah, if it actually goes forward. The Phantom movie stars Billy Zane as a seemingly immortal crime fighter in his battle against all forms of evil. The film also stars Treat Williams, Christy Swanson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, James Remar and Patrick McGowan. I really like... A lot of the cast in there. So let's start with Billy Zane. Yeah, Billy Zane, this is probably the first thing I ever saw him in. This was uh, before Titanic, I believe. Yeah, or, this was before. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I kind of expected, when I watched this, this was probably the closest adaptation of a comic I'd seen before, um, at least that to my knowledge, I wasn't big on the comics themselves. And Batman, as great as the Tim Burton movies were, costume was completely altered. The uh, the the violence, like Batman, maybe in killing people. I mean, he had machine guns on his on his vehicles. Uh, this is probably as close as you're going to get, and I enjoyed it. This movie came out between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Just to give you an idea. But it's it's pure pulp, isn't it? Like, we recently covered The Rocketeer, and I would put The Phantom up there. I mean, The Rocketeer, I'd say, holds up as a better movie overall. But as a character, and the film itself, you can say The Rocketeer, The Phantom, Alec Baldwin, The Shadow. All these characters fit together, and they all came out in the 90s. Yeah, they also did the Zorro film. Oh, the Mask of Zorro and The Legend of Zorro. Yeah. They are great. They are they are really well done. Also, Catherine Zeta-Jones in them. Yeah, and I think this was Catherine Zeta-Jones' first big film, straight from Darling Buds of May. <laughs> I was trying to think, what was that show called? Yep. Yeah, I know that because my, my family watched Darling Buds of May, so when this came out and I saw her, I'm like, hey, I know you. You know, financially, this movie... Okay, no, financially, this movie lost money. I was going to say, I thought there was an extra zero. Okay, on a budget of 45 million, domestically, 17.3. Yeah. It was a planned trilogy, even back in the 90s, everything was a planned franchise. Yeah. And it just wasn't there, and it's really unfortunate because there's there's still a charm to this movie. Yeah, I think it, it falls down because it's the same problem... In the US, when they could talk domestic, that seventeen million is is terrible in terms of your return. Uh, but the Phantom has never been a big character in the US. It's the same with uh, Judge Dredd. He had that phenomenal film with Carl Urban, performed well everywhere, 
got to the US, fell over because they don't know who the character is. If it's not an American hero, it just doesn't seem to work for them. I reckon if you're looking for an audience for The Phantom, Australia. Yeah. Make the movie or the TV series for Australia. I noticed in the opening credits, Joe Dante was credited as a executive producer. Who, Dante? Yeah, you know, Gremlins, The oh, Birds. Oh, yeah. He's... And I'm like, that's odd. And I looked into it. He was originally slated to direct, but he had to leave due to other commitments. Oh, right. And before him, they were looking at Joel Schumacher. So someone watched Batman <laughs> Forever is like, hang on a minute, we need some of that. <laughs> but instead, they went to, oh, this is interesting. They went to Simon Winter, Australian, <laughs> an Australian director. Makes sense. He began his career in television. Uh, he worked on movies like Free Willy, Lightning Jack, Operation Dumbo Drop. He was also chosen by producer George Lucas to direct six episodes of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Another series that, like a pulp set series, which is super common in the nineties for some reason. He's actually got some good credits. Ah, and he also did the third Crocodile Dundee again. Uh, Aussie director. <laughs> Who better to direct Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles? Yeah. But yeah, Billy Zane. Back to him. <laughs> got yeah. a bit sidetracked there. But yeah, he's he's really good in this. After his casting, he spent over a year and a half to get the right muscular look of the Phantom. He also studied the character's body language in comic strip <laughs> artwork, which is just hilarious because it's the Phantom standing, looking forward. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Phantom. So I don't know what he was quite... Yeah, static. I don't know what he means by that. But but he he was reading the comics. He, he really enjoyed them. Or sorry comic strips and he was really enjoying them and he got the part see it sounds like a fan cast as the hero which yeah. i really like and i'll say like physically he really did a great job these days even if you were looking for a fabric costume there would be some padding to add a little bit more bulk but the fact that it was all natural on him you're like man you got in some incredible shape for this look at henry cavill yeah. He does not need help, but no. they give it... Oh, I said past tense. He's no longer Superman, <laughs> I guess. But they gave him the help anyway, where he didn't really need it. A Batman-like costume with fake muscles was reportedly made, but by the time filming started, I think because Zane was so beefed up, they decided not to use it. Yeah, and he I think really, the smooth line fits, especially for the era they're setting yeah, in. But he fits the, the suit so well. Like, he really looks the part. And when you see him on horseback, he just looks... Fantastic as yeah. the character. It is a shame that it didn't do well enough for them to make more because he certainly looks the part. And with the smoothness of the headpiece, what I did read, when he'd shot all of his Kit Walker scenes, he shaved his head. That makes a Just lot of so sense. the headpiece would fit sooner. I'm not sure if that's when or why he went bald. <laughs> if not, if it is so, he'd be cursing this movie. <laughs> one time he shaved his head for the Phantom, never grew back. Yeah. Um... But yeah, it's he does a really good job. You know, he's there's a charm to him. What I will say though, and I found this for most of the char characters, there's a dryness to the delivery, which I think, even when they're quipping, like the direction was, take this seriously, even when you're making a joke. I'm like, ah, but people have a little bit more cadence, like. You can see where he's relaxed in certain scenes and some others where it just comes a little dry. I don't blame him because I, I noticed it 
across so many of the rest of the cast as well. You know, just one more thing on the on the costume. Like I mentioned earlier, they removed the stripy underpants. Yeah, they're gone. But if you look closely at the purple costume, you can see skulls. You so can. I like that they've added additional skulls. Yeah. Now let's talk chewing scenery. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does does it better in this movie than Treat Williams as Xander Drax. And he is so good at it. He it for me he makes the film. He really does. But what what I found on watching it is sort of like he pushes it too far, but then it becomes good again. Yeah. It gets to the point where it's like, oh no, this is too much now. And then it's he's so entertaining in this. Yeah. And just the the motives, gonna get the three skulls, put them together. I'll be all powerful. The end. Yeah. It's just so basic. Yeah. Yeah, because he's already fabulously wealthy. He doesn't need that. He's it's not like he's struggling as it is. He's He's a made owned, man. He's yeah. doing well. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty much owns New York. But what? it's greed, isn't it? He yeah. wants more. He's he's got what he's got and he wants more on top of it. But yeah, he he is really good in this. Yeah. Really good. We have Christy Swanson as Diana Palmer. Yeah. Oh, I used to have the biggest crush on Christy Swanson. The original Buffy the Vampire yes. Slayer. Yes, yes. And uh, I, watching this, I'm like, wow, I can see why she's she's great. I mean, Catherine Cedar-Jones, equally hot, maybe more hotter because she's the villain. <laughs> and she's in the, uh, the, the darker costumes, the more form-fitting costumes, but... She does a great job. Uh, she's the niece of the Palmer Press. So the top guy at the paper. Yeah, the guy who owns the paper, as they did back in the 30s, because this is set in kind of the the the, the shadow of World War II. Um, and she's the niece, so she's she's known for globetrotting, and they she's she knows that Xander Drax is up to something in the jungle and he was going to go but he's a bit oldly he's got a paper to run and she's like i just came back from a safari why would you go i can go and take care of this which it great motivations um the, the her she's not wearing dresses and things of that nature as well which was typical dress for the time she's wearing um pantsuits uh and shirts and jackets and the cool 30s hair as well honestly without reading the comics and just watching it as a movie like she's doing a great job of telling you who she is where she's been what she's planning on doing it's a fully formed character and she's really good in it yeah and it's and she is the lowest lane type only she's not always the damsel yeah and she is teaming up with sala who is zeta jones's character and i like the fact that although sala is a bad guy or bad gal yeah that she's like hang on a minute us women need to stick like stick together. Yeah, yeah, especially then, when they're surrounded by creepy pirates. And yeah, so they have like a unlikely partnership, but you completely buy it. And then you're right, it's them versus the pirates. Yeah, because it's the 30s and they didn't even have the right to vote, never mind about being able to work. So yeah, why wouldn't they work together? Let's talk about Quill, <laughs> played by James Remar. I've seen him in so many things. But always seems to be in a role yes. just like this one. Yes, that's. I, I didn't want to say it first, but you're exactly right. Like whether is here, is is in the Black Lightning TV show, yeah. 
no matter where he pops up, oh, I guess he was a little bit different as Raiden in Mortal Kombat <laughs> Annihilation. But you're right, more often than not, he's this. Yeah. Does it well. Yeah, he does it very well. But he's he's often doing it. Yeah. And hey, his character killed the 20th Phantom. Took yeah. his took his belt. Yeah, took his gun belt. Took uh and which is good motivation for him. It's uh, he's trying to be part of the Sang Brotherhood. He's got the spider web tattoo and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he's he's henchman number one. He's the the main bad guy. The is main it, bad guy's number one. Isn't it a lot? And when you get to the head of the pirates, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but it's um... the great Kaba Sang. <laughs> well done. More combat. Yes, the first By one. Kerry Hiroki Tagawa. So it gives you the impression that Quill and his associates are wannabes. Like yeah. They're not really a part of it. It's like, just because you've got the tattoo doesn't mean you're in. These yeah. guys are legit. You're a joke. I liked that. Yeah. Yeah, it worked really well. And of course, as he's credited, the Phantom's father, Patrick McGowan, also known as that evil king from Braveheart. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. that's, and that was, what, 94, two yeah. years prior? that's all I could think of the whole time. I'm like, you're a bad guy. You're a villain. I Not know in you. this. He's a ghost that the Phantom talks to in yeah. the back of a cab. Yeah, the ghost who talks, <laughs> apparently. Yes. That's exactly who he is. Love it. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, the effects of this movie, you know, I mentioned Rocketeer already. And when we did our Rocketeer episode, I lost track of how many times I brought up Indiana Jones. And I get that vibe here, and it, it works. Like if you're going to set it in the 30s, I, I feel like there's a certain use of effects that you can get away with because yeah. your the effect is the area that you're you're aiming for. Yeah, and it and that pulp feel really works for this film. It does. Um, I think probably why it's so successful uh, and why they made so many of them in the 90s, like even the Mummies films, have that that pulp feel, that same kind of era. Um, and I've failed to see someone replicate it recently in the night. You had Indiana Jones, you had the Phantom, you had the Mask of Zorro. For some reason, that aesthetic, they just nailed. Maybe it was also the use of practical effects and 90, actual stunt yeah. work. 90s, early 2000s, yeah, they was doing a lot of that. Yeah, um, and because CGI hasn't taken over yet, it still wasn't quite proven, it was still really really expensive at the time they stuck to what they knew which was practical and i think it's that that helps this film a lot because they are practical effects and i feel like our generation appreciates that because it's what we grew up on maybe the next generation it would just look too cheap cheesy where if i can see it's a practical effect i don't see that as being a bad thing i appreciate it yeah and when they're using it in movies like this Again, like going back to the era, I mean, this was set in the 1930s. Yeah. It really works. Yeah. But when I was doing some research, the Palmer Mansion is actually the real life Playboy Mansion. Is it? Yes. <laughs> so when you I see, knew it looked familiar. When I'm you like, see... I, it's not quite the Oliver Queen Mansion slash no. X-Men Mansion slash everything else they've is, ever used. Well, I know. Th is that right? The Oliver Queen Mansion? Because I know it, it was the X-Mansion and... The Luther's Mansion yep. in Smallville. And yep. it was also... Yeah, they the just point. shoot them from different angles in different lighting. Wow. I mean, I didn't notice. <laughs> Clearly not everybody notices. But yeah, Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion is in the Phantom. Huh. That's pretty cool. 
I mentioned the skulls on his costume. He's got two rings, one on each hand. Not in the film. In the comics, he does. I thought he did in the film as well. I didn't notice. One's for marking and the other one's for something else. Yeah, because he has with... two. He has the, the skull one, which he hits bad guys with. The other one is a cross. Again, I didn't notice it in the film, but in the comics, that's a symbol for people who are like his allies. Yes, I, th- I think he does have the two rings. I'm pretty sure that yeah. he does. Yeah, I because they never did a focus point on it, and it wasn't part of the story. I just never noticed. So again, like I've I've never seen, I've never read the comics, so my knowledge of the Phantom is this movie and Defenders of the Earth. Yep. So I'm pretty sure he does have the two rings. Yeah. Like you say, one is like friend of the Phantom, and one is he marks you, and you get like the skull, like mark on you. Yeah, like Quill has on his jaw. But skulls do play a big part in this movie. Like you've got. He's got it on his belt. He's got skulls everywhere. He lives in a skull cave. Mentioned the ring. Um, and he's trying to find three skulls. That's yep. the plot of the movie. That is the entire plot of the film. And then you've got the bit where Drax has got the three skulls together and the, the lights shining out of their eyes. And then you get this weird lightsaber battle where <laughs> you've got the lights reflecting off the phantom's ring and the pushing light back and forth yeah like a classic saturday morning cartoon yeah because there's a fourth skull the one that controls the others and he's worn his whole life for protection <laughs> so it works yeah skulls if you like skulls watch the phantom yeah one thing i'll say about his costume and it's the 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 not using trunks to break up the color, um, I did notice. But his gun belt, they're just holsters, and they're not secured on the bottom to his leg like gun belts are. So when he ran, they flapped against oh, his thighs, and it just every time I'm like, did not notice. At what point are those guns gonna fall out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just ricochet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that before the rewatch. A memory that I always had of this movie, and I think I just made it up, is the the jungle drums. I remembered it being a lot more prominent in the opening. Like people know the Phantom is coming because the the jungle drums get louder. Yeah. And although it is there at the, at the beginning, but for whatever reason, the, how how I remembered this movie, the the jungle drums played a much bigger part. Yeah, because that's how like the tribe and the thing and it's signify like, him that yeah. someone's robbing the crypt. That's right. But I just remembered it being just more prominent, like Gordon flipping the bat signal. I just thought the drums was more a part of this character. Yeah, it is one of the things I noticed on the rewatch is uh, I can't really talk for the theme because it's so quiet in the mix. To oh, be the score? Almost inaudible. Which yeah, is a shame, because yeah. I'm sure they probably put together something that sounded great, something that sounded adventurous, but it's just not there in the mix. Like, the sound effects and the audio and the uh, the dialogue's turned way up, and if it's there, it's buried under all of it. I couldn't even tell you what it is or hum it. I mean, I will look into it after this recording, because I will open the episode like I always like to do with music from, from the movie. But yeah, I I couldn't hum it. I mean, the last episode we did together, Spider-Man, the animated series, we were humming the different 
character cues. <laughs> like yeah. we knew all the music from that, where it's, you're right, I think it's because it's subtle, it's quiet. Uh, the score was composed by David Newman, who previously collaborated with uh, Simon Winter on Operation Dumbo Drop. Okay. So they had history. I don't know what he's gone on to do since, but it's not a memorable score. Maybe in isolation, you'll appreciate it more. A soundtrack was released June 4th, 1996. And then an expanded edition was put out by La La Records in 2012. So there must be something there. Yeah. It's had two issues, a standard and extended cut. There's got to be something to it. Watching the movie, both of us completely missed. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't tell you a single note other than the jungle drums and the opening sequence. There were talks of a possible sequel or reboot. Billy Zane originally signed up to do two sequels, but these were not made because of the disappointing sales at the box office. Yeah. In 2008, Paramount Pictures was considering creating a sequel to The Phantom with Zane, Swanson and Zeta Jones returning in their roles. In December of that year, it was announced instead that a reboot of the Phantom series was in the works called The Phantom Legacy and Sam Worthington was apparently considered for the lead role. Huh. And then they realised that he just acts as Sam Worthington and maybe not a good <laughs> choice. Again, though, a, a, a casting an Australian to play the Phantom. So after this movie, the character did appear on that sci-fi show. Talks of a sequel, a reboot, none of that has happened. The legacy of the character, it's the comics. Like You can still pick up the comics, and one of the more recent Phantom comics in Australia is Kid Phantom. Have huh. you heard of this I've one? I've heard of, yes. It's a standalone, quarterly, all-colour, glossy comic book aimed at children with original material, illustrated by Dr. Paul Mason and written by Andrew Constant. I just want to give a shout out to Paul Mason there. He's an Australian artist and at local cons, Supernova, uh, when we still had Oz Comic Con in Perth, he would off often be there as a guest and he'd always take the time to have a bit of a chat. So now we just have Kid Phantom. I don't know what number he is, so maybe he's the son of kit or maybe further down the line but he is literally a kid yeah he's a little kid with freckles yeah yeah because uh dynamite comics in the u.s still have the license to produce stuff they don't often produce stuff uh they did uh king's watch a couple of years ago which was the king's comics line of people which included the phantom and mandrake and that sort of stuff and they put them together kind of like defenders of the earth but didn't use the moniker unfortunately and mandrake same creators phantom yep that's cool yeah um but yeah i'm sure they plan to do something just as i said he's not a character that they they're producing a lot of stuff at the moment you know i'm really glad that we're here today talking about the phantom because this character does not get a lot of attention at all. No, no, again, especially outside of Australia. Australia, he's like a household name. Otherwise, he just disappears. You know what put the idea in my head to cover the Phantom? Billy Zane is coming to Australia, not Perth. I think maybe Melbourne. Yeah. And there was pictures of him as the Phantom. And I'm like, 
I remember that movie. <laughs> I'd love to go back and rewatch it. And you agreed, and here we are. Yeah. So if we're going to give our rating out of five. I have to give this um, probably a two and a half. Uh, it's 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 dated, unfortunately. Uh, it doesn't. It's short and sweet, but it doesn't. Um, you know what? Maybe a three. I think two and a half is too too wrong because I did enjoy it. Um, I don't know how much of that is nostalgia. Uh, the appreciation for the amount of work, like the design work on this movie, was phenomenal. Like. Uh, uh, Xander Drax's office in all the Art Deco style, phenomenal. All the dressing was great. The the dressing up old New York looked phenomenal. It just uh, when it finished, I wasn't like, oh, where was that second Phantom movie? It just it was like, oh yeah, it's done. That's that's all they wrote. From memory, more happened. <laughs> it was quite a basic movie. There's a lot of charm to it and. You know, Billy Zane really is great as the Phantom. Like, after this movie, he did Titanic and a couple of other decent-sized projects. Zoolander. Yeah, Zoolander, (laughs) yes. But since then, he's kind of, like, just fallen by the wayside. He'll do, like, he's got a show on Netflix. He And he's not the main guy. Like, he's one of an ensemble cast. And he'll pop up, direct to home video. Yeah. He and was he's a good actor. In The Boys as himself. That's right. He was in The <laughs> Boys, which was one of our recent episodes. Check it out. Yeah, it's it's a shame because he is good and he's good in this. He popped up in an episode of Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> like, come on. This movie, I did enjoy the rewatch uh, again. Xander Drax. What a great villain. But just like yourself, I'm going to come in at a three out of five yeah and i really do want to listen to the soundtrack yeah. <laughs> what are we what are we not remembering because it's it had one yeah yeah a tough, like i said two releases well again it the opening of the podcast hopefully i found something <laughs> that sounds like the phantom from the movie maybe i'll just open the episode with i don't know jungle drums <laughs> we'll see that's it for our episode all about The Phantom. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jay, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Yeah, I, I knew that I remembered that and then, correctly. And then it gets his show.